week, another episode. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you so much for everybody who has joined in the conversation over on our Facebook group. If you have yet to do that, you can just go ahead and search Stable Moments Podcast on Facebook and ask to join. And we've got a whole conversation going on over there. We've got some cool things going on this month. So for the month of August, we are giving away one of the Stable Moments books. It's helpful for anyone that works with children who have experienced foster care or early developmental trauma. So if you leave a review for the podcast and you screenshot that and email it to me at Rebecca at StableMoments.com, you will get entered for the month of August to get a book sent to you. We also have some really cool t-shirts and sweatshirts now available at StableMoments.com. So if you go on there, uh, it's a t-shirt or a sweatshirt that says doing my part to end the foster care crisis. So if you're involved in any way, if you are an advocate, if you're a foster parent, if you are a program director, if you're a mentor, if you just want to raise awareness, wearing this shirt around will have people stopping you and saying, oh, you know, what is it that you do with the foster care crisis? And you can say, well, I raise awareness or I'm actually a child mentor or I'm a foster parent or I have grandkids or kids or or cousins or whoever that are part of the foster care crisis in statistics and I'm bringing awareness to it. So I'm doing my part in ending the foster care crisis. So please check that out, statewomens.com slash store. I am so excited to talk to you guys this week. Okay, so what I do every day, at least every like working day, Monday through Friday, is I write down a to-do list. I start my day and I write down a to-do list. I think it's a really good practice to make sure that you stay focused, right? There's a lot of things that you need to prioritize and prioritizing things is really important, really important for time management and for making you feel like you actually accomplished something at the end of the day. And once again, this lesson can be applied to the kids that we work with because it's really important that we prioritize what we need to get done. What are we going to do first? What are we going to do second? What are we going to do third? And really walk through a plan and stick to it. Now, if you're like me, you like start with a plan and then you get an email over here and then, oh, the laundry buzzer goes off and then you walk towards the bathroom and you're like, ooh, the sink could be wiped off. And then you start wiping that off and then you get a call from, right? And then like the to-do list is kind of out the window and you've done a bunch of things that weren't on your to-do list and that's great. I think that being in the flow and kind of rolling with things can be good. But if you're a person that does that and then feels like you didn't get anything done, well, now you're just beating yourself up because the things that you got done weren't on your to-do list and you might be super overwhelmed with what you didn't get done. One thing that I will do is I get so excited about new projects that I jump into doing like a new project. Okay, creating t-shirts or whatever I'm going to do, right? But then I look at my to-do list and I go, you know, you've got a couple deadlines that are coming up for Thursday. So are you procrastinating? Can t-shirts wait? Yep, t-shirts can wait. Those are going to go next week and we've got to get these things done. And basically what I tell myself is just like I would tell a kid, got to do these things that aren't quite as fun and stimulating before you can get to t-shirts. And guess what? I blow through those things that I have to do because I really want to be working on t-shirts. So that's kind of how I work in the flow while also prioritizing things and making sure I get things done. But the point of this was not to tell you to make a to-do list, although I think it's, it's very important. 
the point of this was that you make a wins list. So when you sit down every morning and you actually write out your to-do list of what you want to accomplish that day. And hey, when you write out your to-do list, you can put everything on there. I put everything professionally, everything to do with the business, everything to do with the family, right? It's family work life integration. And I have laundry on there, make dinner on there, you know, do a podcast, edit. I have stuff with my day job. All of that is on the same list because I want to acknowledge everything that I am doing. And if I just forget about or don't write down all the things that I need to do for the family, then again, while I'm doing those things, I feel like I'm overwhelmed because there's something I'm not doing over here that I'm supposed to be doing. But if they're on the list, then it's something I'm supposed to be doing. So it's just like a little mindset shift in setting myself up for this is exactly what you're supposed to be doing. Now, one of my strengths overdone is productivity. Like I like to be productive and I could use to chill out and not be as productive sometimes. I don't need to produce things. That's not what my worth should be attached to. So so for me, putting things down like taking a nap or feeding the dogs is really important because it's like, Rebecca, you're producing. Don't worry. Uh, so a wins list is important though because if you're at all like me and like a lot of humans, a lot of predators, we like to just what's next? What's next? What's the next thing we need to do? We love crossing things off. In fact, we don't often let the present moment happen, even with the kids that are in our care, when we're mentors, when we're program directors, when we have learning moments, we often just like, yep, 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 next thing. We just want to be able to check off a box that we did something rather than like maybe the whole work is sitting here in this moment with a kid, right? So to practice doing that, you need to sit in the moments with you. And part of doing that is sitting in your wins. So when you're writing out your to-do list, before you do that, just write wins at the top of the list. And you just need to write down your wins. What were your wins for the previous day? And try not to just carbon copy the to-do list things you got done, but really think back, like what were your wins for the last day? What were your wins for the last week, for the last month, for the last year? Go out however far you need to go to find some wins because certainly you've had some and then that sets you up for like you know what I've done a lot this year I've done a lot this month I've done a lot this week I did a lot this weekend uh, and then you have a great perspective and energy going into your next things that you need to do but if you're not stopping and acknowledging what you're doing what you've done how much effort you've already put in then what are we doing? We're just showing up and like grinding it out and more, more, more things and check, 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 check. You know, we're not like stopping and being like at least smelling the roses for a minute, right? And I know that this doesn't sound very profound, but I'm telling you, we do this with kids. Next thing, next thing, right? If we're getting kids ready for the morning, it's like they're trying to show you something really cute and you're like, that's cute, honey. Pull it out of their hands. You got to get to school, rip them, you know, pull them up and throw them in the car. So being able to stop with a kid, if we're mentoring a kid and say, let's go over some of our wins before we make a plan for today's session. Or stopping after a kid comes home from school and being like, what were some great things about school? Stopping after a kid does a, a football game or soccer or whatever and saying, what did, you like, what did you like the most today about your performance? You know, kids are going to, they might say today sucked. There might have been one thing that sucked. School sucked, whatever. 
But like, what was one, what's one thing that's good about this year? And boy, this is going to be a practice that we all might want to do because school might be tough this year for a lot of reasons and kids might miss their friends and you know, parents might be really at their wits end. So just stopping and it's not necessarily like an attitude of gratitude. It's more of setting you up to make your next to-do list, make your next steps and pausing and reflecting on what you've done, reflecting on the life that you're supposed to be living, right? We don't want it all to pass us by. So lesson for me this week and hopefully all of you can use it. Use it now. See if you can do it for yourself and then see if doing it for yourself uh, starts spilling over into doing it for the children that we serve. So be as kind to yourself as you are to others. Write out your wins. Write them out every day. Write them out for as long as you need to for the year, for the month, for the weekend, and write them out before you do your next to-do list so that we're not just chugging along and checking things off. Okay, so I am super stoked. That was stoked is what I said because I couldn't, I can't even contain my excitement. I, that's excited and stoked put together if you didn't know. So I'm super stoked for uh, this week's guest. Uh, She actually, so she contacted me because she has a ranch called the Ranch of Hope Reigns. And she's in Illinois and she wanted to start a Stable Moments program. So I said, sure. You know, she wanted to be a host site and host one of our trainings. I said, sure. We went through that whole thing. And, you know, I I should have gotten to know her a little bit better, but I just assumed that she was somebody that worked with horses and we entered into kind of a business relationship. And I said, you know, let's start promoting the event and we can get out there. I even met her in person at a conference. I happened to see her at a conference. So it wasn't until later that I realized that she not only runs this program at the Ranch of Hope Reigns, which helps all types of people, families, kids, but she is not only a foster mom, she was in foster care and she has a really, you know, sad and incredible story Uh, of kind of where we were at when she was placed in foster care and she ended up aging out of foster care. She didn't get adopted and she knows trauma all too well. She knows big traumas and little traumas and she was super resilient, picture perfect, you know, poster child for resilience uh, and went on to, you know, get a college degree and open up the Ranch of Hope Reigns where she serves people. And she will be starting a Stable Moments program after our Illinois training in October. So if you're interested in meeting me, meeting her and starting your own Stable Moments program, then that would be the training you want to go to. But I just wanted to get with her so she could tell you her story and help you understand, you know, what having a traumatic childhood was like for her, what helped her, what didn't help her, and how she's become the successful woman that she is today. So here's Christine. Hi, I'm Rebecca Britt, and this is the Stable Moments Podcast, the show where we discuss all things related to the foster care system and early childhood trauma, from foster parents, trauma experts, former foster kids, and beyond. We'll take a deep dive into the complexities of the foster care crisis in an effort to better understand how to fix it. 
I wanted to let you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and about your journey and kind of, um, you know, where you started out in this world, and then we'll get to how you started Ranch of Hope Rain. So can you tell us a little bit about the beginning of your journey? Sure. Yeah, I entered foster care when I was nine years old. I, um, I, had, I was being raised by my mother at that time, and I had two siblings, a younger sister and an older sister. And um, at that point, my mother committed suicide. And so it was very different back then. I don't even know how it all actually happened. But that day, all three of us siblings, we were in different neighbors' homes. They just took us mm. in. And it was, it was actually a few months before we actually entered into what is in Illinois, Department of Children and Family Services. So um, we lived in different families. My younger sister was really struggling. And so at one point she did end up being placed with me. And together, the two of us ended up moving into um, being under the care of a private foster care agency. And they, placed us together initially. My older sister stayed with extended family and friends of the family. And I honestly don't know how that happened other than possibly she was old enough. She was mm. 12. I don't know if they asked her opinion. I don't know how it went then. Sure. Um, so then my younger sister and I were in placement together in the, you know, under that private agency and um, we had my younger sister and I had two very different personalities. And as she dealt with the trauma and everything that was happening for her, um, she was much more outspoken. I mean, she was younger too, because so she would have been like six or seven. So she would write things, scribble things on paper and stuff. You know, I hate my foster parents and things like that. And so she got herself placed elsewhere. So then we stopped being in placement together, but I was in a number of different placements. Um, some of it having to do with, I moved even within the same placement because I lived with a family that was in the military. Mm -hmm. um, and then there were some issues, like I moved with them to another state with the idea that they would adopt me, but things got really tense between, um, you know, within that placement. And so then I was flown back to Illinois mm -hmm. and then they wanted to try the adoption again. So then I flew to, I had been with them in Rhode Island. Then I flew from Illinois to California to be with them. And then they decided not to adopt me at that point. So then mm -hmm. I came back and I was in a different placement. And so I was in foster care until I was 17 when I aged out. Wow. So what was your life like? before you were nine years old, before your mom committed suicide, what did your early life look like? And, you know, what were the dynamics in your household? Um, the dynamics, it, I, ugh, that's tough. Um, my mother had a lot of mental health issues. Um, she had attempted suicide. She was hospitalized for up to a year as far as I know. My childhood, um, because of all the trauma in my childhood, I really had a lot of repressed memories and it wasn't until I was an adult that I even remembered anything. And even to this day, 
my memory is very small compared to my siblings. Mm. Um, my father actually was in prison when my mom died. And, um, and so there was a lot of, um, he, he was out of the house since I was like one or so, mm-hmm. but, um, there was a lot of issues with, you know, the things that he was doing and, and then the mental health of my mother. So I, I didn't know him very well at all, but he was in prison at the point that my mom died. And so going to live with him was not an option. So it's interesting to me that the community, the neighbors had, there was enough of a sense of a community that, that they did take in you and your siblings without really any direction from the state at this point. And sometimes on this podcast, we talk a lot about how kids could possibly be more protective if there were people, you know, community members, or if we had connections with our neighbors where people would step up and say like, oh, you know, a tragedy happened. And of course we're here. So was that just the way communities were back then? Did your mom have good relationships? Like, I know that you said you're not quite sure how that all went down. So I don't know if you can give any insight there, but it's interesting to me that your neighbors were like there and open and willing, at least in the beginning, Right. To, to take on that role. Yeah. Well, I think part of it is it's unfortunate because I don't think that there was any kind of real awareness that there were even problems and issues within my family as far mm-hmm. as my community around, right? It wasn't until the day that, you know, there's six ambulance and police cars and a fire truck all outside of our home and all the chaos that was going on that anyone became aware of any kind of issue. But um, I'm a believer and in looking back, I see that it was totally God's hand because I had been going to church with a neighbor friend um, for a few weeks and it was actually some of those families that took my younger sister and I in. My older sister went to live with actually a friend of hers that was in the neighborhood, her family. But um, we actually, that's how we ended up going to live with families from this church. And then it was through that, that we ended up being placed in foster care through um, it, the name of the organization is Evangelical Child and Family Agency. That's how we ended up not just being placed um, through DCFS, but through that private organization. It, it's really interesting. You're not the first person that said that going to church opened some type of connections, um, really allowed for that community to build and be aware and get to know you. Do you feel like as a um, little girl going to church and having those connections, like, were you able to continue to go once you moved out of? Well, because we were actually, those initial placements in our neighborhood were with church families. So then we did go to church with them for a while. And then when we were placed in foster care with that private agency, those were families that did go to church. And and yeah, and that is where my faith began. And as far as like, too, I just wanted to say what was happening in our neighborhood, like we had not lived there for very long. I think maybe it had been a year, but mm. all of my growing up years, we had moved from place to place and 
my mother had gotten remarried and then that marriage fell apart. So we had moved to that, that home not long before this happened. Yeah. So you moved or you remained in care until you were 17. And did you age out at 17? Did you, is that a choice or was that when you were done high school? How did you age out at 17? So I aged out at 17 because my caseworker was amazing and she, she convinced me to apply for college and, you know, to get into a college. Um, she helped all of the, um, financing to be arranged, you know, because I was still a dependent of the state. So I got some financing through that. She helped me get a grant. So I went off to college at 17. So that's why I was emancipated since I was moving out of foster care and into independent living as a college student. That's great. Were you able to get your degree? Did that work for you? Yeah, I did. I ended up, I got my degree in social work. Um, and And again, it wasn't because I loved school and I thought, oh, this is a great, you know, like, this is what I want to do with my life. I mean, at that point, I really didn't know what to do or where to go. So this was great. It was a great way to be on my own. And, and again, I think it it was a God thing because as I graduated at the bottom of my class in high school, I got there and I realized that I could, I could choose to do something different. I could choose to do something meaningful and and do something with my past to bring about good. And so then I, I did, I got my degree in social work and I actually graduated with honors instead of sleeping through all my school like I did when I was younger. I actually went to school and did it. So yeah, I, it was good. And were you able to, so you had some benefits to be able to help you go to school. Were there any benefits available to you? Like coming out of college or being able, like, how did you manage just, I feel like it's a lot to get a job and get an apartment and pay for all that stuff, especially, I don't know about you, but when I started in social work, it was twelve eighty four an hour. So, I mean, it's hard to manage all the life stuff. So right. how, how was that for you? Well, it, it was probably a little bit different because at 19 years old, I got married. And so then my husband and I, we both went, we finished college together. Nice. And yeah, even with my college degree to help him finish getting through school, I worked at Wendy's, you know, like, <laughs> I mean, I could do just as well working there as, you know, so, <laughs> yeah. so then, um, so then, yeah. And as far as then my working as a social worker, you know, I got out of school and I was like, I'm not working with adult men. I'm not working in corrections. I don't want to have anything to do with rehab. And my first social work job was an inpatient residential program for adult men coming out of prison, (laughs) addictions issues, right? Like that's how it goes. Yeah. So, yeah. Did it solidify your initial feelings or were you like, oh, okay, I can work with this population? Oh, well, I grew up and I learned a lot through working with that population, but I did continue to know that was not my ideal job. Yeah. Okay. So for for folks that are listening that are foster parents or even just community members, because 
I can think of plenty of times in my childhood life that community members did things that weren't helpful or were helpful. So when you look back through your time in foster care and even just your whole childhood, what was helpful? And you can answer, I was gonna ask you what was helpful and what wasn't. So you can answer either one. Um, like what was helpful as far as you navigating your path and what could you really have used without, even if things were well-intentioned, you know, what was not helpful? Right, well, I think I'll start with what was helpful is that there, I, I did have foster parents who meant well. Like I, I know that they were doing the best that they knew how. Um, but I think what I have learned in both um, as a foster child, and then I have been a foster parent also, I, I have learned that what is really significant is just because a parent loves this child that they've taken in, it doesn't mean that that's going to heal everything that has happened. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that was really not helpful that I learned as an adult talking with foster parents that I had lived with was that they were actually instructed not to talk to us about our past. And so, I mean, here I was as a nine-year-old, I was the one who found my mom having committed suicide. The next day I was in school as if nothing ever happened. And there was not a single adult who talked to me the entire time I was growing up about what had happened. Mm. My life just went on as if that, you know, it's no wonder I blocked out so many memories. Um, you know, it was a great, that that's how I coped because there was no actual dealing with it. And I think it's really significant. Like my passion now is working with parents and helping them to understand what the needs of these kids who have experienced trauma, what those needs are and how they can successfully meet them. Because I know with the foster parents that I live with, so I, I told you my younger sister was outspoken and she got herself removed. I was very soft-spoken. I worked very hard at like not making waves, not, I didn't want to draw any attention to myself. I had long learned that attention brought bad things. And um, so I acted as if everything was fine and everyone took that as the truth because mm -hmm. I just went along with whatever anybody said. But what actually ended up causing um, the one foster, the uh, possible adoption to fall apart was the parents didn't understand why I wasn't able to actually have a relationship with them. You know, mm -hmm. they were trying, they were giving me everything that they could, they were doing everything they knew how to do, yet, I clearly did not want to have a relationship with them. Mm -hmm. I was long since, you know, it had been a long time by the time I reached their home, far from being at the point of believing that like I could make this work into something positive. I had already sure. stopped trying. Sure. So, so yeah, and they had no understanding to help them navigate that. So I just am so passionate about helping parents understand where their kids actually are at and that with that understanding they can then make a difference so 
so did you ever go to therapy? I mean, I'm not saying like now, but did you ever go like did Department of Children and Families ever? No, no, that's incredible. Know. Right, because everybody, everybody just went along as you know, I was but I mean, even my younger sister who was clearly, you know, screaming like I'm not okay. She still didn't go to therapy. Actually, none of the th none of my three sisters as an adult, I've gone to therapy and done my work. Sure. You know, I mean because everyone who wants to do this work needs to understand that's a significant part of the journey. Right. Because and even for foster parents to understand that what they're carrying from their past affects their ability to have a relationship with their foster children. Mm. And because foster children you know, we'll get into the whole horse thing later, but because they're so aware, they're going to have even more of an awareness of what those parents are carrying than probably those parents are aware of. So I think that we're kind of bridging into this, but I was going to ask you, we had heard from a guest recently, um, I believe it was Karen Doyle Buckwalter. She said, um, she talked a little bit about big T and little T, like little traumas and big traumas and it sounds like nobody even addressed your your very glaring big trauma right right but were there little traumas along the way that you also wish were um acknowledged well in hindsight like i understand that even even the way that my foster parents talked about they they didn't talk like blatantly about my past but there was always this underlying talk like you're so much better off with us like mm. we are such better people than what you came from you know things like that that i mean that's traumatizing too and um and and yes i think there was a lot more big t traumas other than even my mom's suicide and going into foster care that as a child, I, I was being able to completely block that out as part of my survival and no one inquired into any of that. And, and that had a lot to do with why I wasn't able to attach with these families. So without addressing that, there was no fixing the problems. Okay, guys. Well, I asked in the Facebook group and you guys responded and I listened. So I asked if you guys would rather longer episodes, especially with my intros now, my outros. Uh, these were getting long. So you guys actually responded that you would rather smaller, shorter episodes in part one, part twos. So we are going to do that anytime I interview a guest and the interview goes on for a long period of time where we can get 30 to 40 minute episodes uh, by breaking it up into two, we will do that. So we are actually going to finish up with Christine next week, but holy smokes, can you imagine all of this happening to a kid and literally sending them to school the next day and nobody ever talking to them about what happened? I mean, that's that's compounding the trauma because now you feel like you're not supposed to even talk about it. 
It's incredible. Well, she has so much more to share with us. Uh, Next week, you will hear how she serves these kids at the Ranch of Hope Reigns and and some of the techniques she uses with the parents. She's super qualified to do this because she also became a foster parent herself. So you get to hear about how she journeyed into that as well. She has so much insight in critical information for all of us. So I hope you'll tune in next week. All right. So like I said, leave a review and get entered to win a book. If you guys have not checked out these shirts, even if you don't want one for yourself, but you're just the person that loves to give, if you know that there's a person in your life that deserves to have a shirt that says, I'm doing my part in ending the foster care crisis and you feel like they deserve to wear that because they are so doing their part. Maybe they're a foster parent you know, or maybe there's someone that's a real true advocate for children in foster care. Go on and gift one of these shirts to them. This will help raise awareness, but it will also make someone feel like they're a hero when they might not buy it for themselves. So those are at stablemoments.com slash store. All right, we will end this show with a review. This one comes to us from Jen Peterson. It is titled Inspirational. Rebecca always provides excellent insight and has a heart of gold for children. Every episode is heartwarming and brings hope to those who need it. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Jen, for that amazing review. You are entered into the drawing for the book. I hope that you get it. And uh, I will talk to you guys next week. Stay safe.